had. Without the basics, there's no foundation. There's the, the, the Bible says, I was actually in it this morning, Ephesians chapter 4, we'll just be like uh, kids tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and philosophy out there. And that's why we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, uh, Philippians, let's start with verse 4, I'm going to come back next week to verse 2, but we're going to start with verse 4, which says, why, is it, why don't everyone read these first five words with me, you ready? Rejoice in the Lord always, very good. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. That means he's near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving... Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatever things are noble, Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. Lord, I, I, I pray, I acknowledge as we, as we sang and prayed in the, the prayer service, prior to the service, we need you. We need you, Lord. And Lord, I, I, I pray as that, uh, that prayer and, uh, uh, this morning also in First Thessalonians chapter one, Lord, I got the word, it's in my notes, but Father, it, it can be delivered without power, without the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I ask, Lord, that the word would go forth in power and in the Holy Spirit, and as the verse continues, with full assurance. And I pray that it will just settle and change every heart in here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. You were created to rejoice in the Lord. You were created to rejoice in the Lord. Verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. The Bible teaches it's not just nice-sounding gobbledygook. The Bible teaches you were created to rejoice. So why does the Bible say that? 
What's God doing in that? The reason is because your joy is tied to God's glory. And his purpose was the very reason he created the world. Now, this will be review in Philippians, but I can't quote these verses enough. Uh, This was the purpose that God created the world. It was for him to be glorified, to bring glory to himself, because when God is glorified, everyone else is happy. When glory goes to something or someone else, Misery and death settle in. The Lord says in Numbers 13, 21, truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Next verse. It says in Isaiah 43, verse seven, about you, this is talking about you, everyone who is called by my name, I have created for my glory. That's the purpose of your life. Next verse. First Peter 1.8 says, though now you do not see him, and him is who? Shout it out. Though now you do not see Jesus, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Meaning, when you have joy in the Lord, there is a glory that goes on your life and you are fulfilling the purpose, not only of your life, but the purpose for which God made the world. He says in Numbers, as surely as I live, the whole world will be filled with my glory. So the question is, how do you give him glory? And the answer is by having joy in your life. No matter what's going on, but by rejoicing in your life. That is how. And, and so and that's what we're going to be talking more about today. We've been talking about that throughout Philippians. Now, how is it, how is it that you give God glory by having joy? By having joy. By having joy, verse 4, it says, always. That's how you give God jo- uh, um, um, glory. Remember, glory is the purpose of your life. It's the purpose for which God created the world. How do you give God that glory? How do you fulfill um, the world's purpose, God's purpose for your life? By being joyful in the Lord sometimes. No, that's not what verse four says. Always, by the way, this is not the only time this is mentioned. It's also in 1 Thessalonians chapter five. It says, rejoice Always, always, and always means always. Always means always. So when you think in your life, so that means, this is what rejoicing in the Lord always means. It means exactly what's going through your mind. Some of you, you guys are going, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Okay, stop waiting, I'll tell you. It means having joy in your life when your life the the exact opposite of the way you wanted your life to go is happening. 
and you rejoice anyway. You're single and not married, or you're married and, and, and can't have kids. When you really, 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 really uh, important relationships in your life, they're falling apart. You're fired at your job. When someone really close to you betrays you in the most painful kind of way. When you're looking at how much money you need to live and you don't have it. When you fail out of school. When, when all t- attempts to get a career or job you wanted have failed. When you're sick or you're in pain or you're in both. When someone really, really, really close to you dies. Or when you have, you're just overwhelmed with temptation. You, you seem to just have temptation crying out into your, screaming into your mind. The Bible says, how do you glorify God? It says, by rejoicing always, meaning through all those things. Rejoice in the Lord always. Doesn't mean you don't weep. Bible says there's very much a place for weeping. But as a believer in Christ, you are always being called back by God to joy. Why? Because that is how God is glorified. Rejoice in the Lord always. Philippians 4, verse 4. You can show up this Friday. And if that's the only verse you show up with that you've memorized on that Zoom meeting, Friday at 7 p.m., rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. We will cheer you on. So there you have it. So when you rejoice in the Lord always, God is glorified in at least two ways. I hope you're taking notes. Here's way number one. God will be glorified because the world will look at you and declare He, she must have a great God who's able to do that. When you make God look great, God is glorified. Especially in circumstances where no one in the world would be filled with joy in that circumstance. The world's looking on and they see that joy, your God is glorified. The purpose for your life is being fulfilled. Listen to me, the world so desperately wants joy. If that's not obvious to you, you're not paying attention. Drug addiction, alcohol addiction, sexual addiction, addiction to work and career, sports addiction, video game addiction, whatever addiction. What are all those about? It's a desperate search for joy. Why is everyone doing it? Because that is how God created every human being, to search for joy. But when, it, when the search for joy does not end in God, it's going to be through everything but God. And it's all going to lead to death. Failed attempts at finding joy. Drug addiction, alcohol addiction, sexual addiction, addiction to work and careers, sports addiction, video game addiction, whatever addiction. God says, the Bible says God created every human being to be filled with joy. If they don't find it in God, they'll be looking somewhere else. 
And if they see you with joy in a situation where anyone else on earth would be suffering or the world, even worse, would be cursing their God. Job's wife went to him. We're, we're going through the book of Job on Tuesday nights. He lost his kids, all his property, and his health. His, his wife went up to him. Listen, why do you hold on to your integrity? Curse God and die. In fact, that's what many people do. When they don't find joy, they, they curse their God. But when they see you rejoicing in the Lord, always they glorify your God. Jesus spoke about this in the Sermon on, on the Mount. Though these people may not like you, or anything your life stands for, by looking at your life, they will glorify God in the day of his visitation. So, um, that's way number one, that you glorify God with joy. The first way is your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, perfect strangers, they glorify God when they see that joy in your life. But there's another way that rejoicing in the Lord always, it says always, glorifies God. And that is, by strengthening you in your calling. By strengthening you in your calling. The Bible says each and every one of you, every single one of you has a calling. You may not know it yet. If you don't, you need to ask God. He will tell you over time. You have a calling on your life. Ephesians chapter four, verse one says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, this is Paul talking, beseech you, which means begged, I beg you to walk worthy of what? Of the calling with which you were called. In the beginning of the book of Romans, that book which basically explains the entire theology of what it means to be a Christian, it starts saying it starts by saying you, and that word, that you means you, like you, like you, sitting down in Calvary Chapel in the city in the Longwood Hall. You, that's, what it, that's who it's referring to. You also are the called of Jesus Christ. You are called by God, and you have a calling, the Bible says. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that famous verse. This is another one. Show up this Friday with this verse. We will cheer you. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called. You are the called. You're the called according to his purpose. You have a calling. And your calling... You say, well, I don't know what my calling is. Again, ask him. The Lord will make it clear over time. It's why I put you on planet Earth. He's not gonna let you go your whole life without knowing your calling, I promise you. He put you on, the on this earth in order to, for you to walk in your calling. And your calling is, I could do a whole sermon on it. I'll try to do this in three sentences. Your calling is something God wants to do through you to bring glory to his name. Through your job, in your family, 
in church, on the street, in your neighborhoods, in the world. He has called you to do something or some things involving pointing people to God and his character. In other words, to glorify God. And so here's the deal. The success or failure of your calling depends upon whether or not you obey, and it's about obedience. It's about obedience. Philippians chapter four, verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. The success or failure of whether or not you walk in your calling depends upon whether you're obeying that verse. And so no wonder that when we began Philippians, I said, many Bible scholars think your joy is God's highest priority. Your happiness is, is God's highest priority. And as we said, there was a whole other sermon that doesn't mean, you know, God wants you to be happy, but never at the expense of disobeying his word. In fact, obeying his word is the channel. It's the way into happiness. But fulfilling the calling, your God-given calling, if you don't know what it is, do what we talked about last Sunday morning. Get on your face, cry out to God. Why am I here, God? What's my calling? I promise you, he will tell you over time. So, the success or failure of walking in your calling is directly tied to your obedience of choosing joy always. Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 10, says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Let me tell you, when you don't have happiness, when you, when you don't have joy, you are one weak human being. You're going to have trouble walking in your calling. You're going to have trouble doing good uh, job at work. You're going to have uh, trouble raking the leaves in your lawn or, or, or sweeping the, uh, the, the, the dust in your, in your living room. You need the joy of the Lord. The Bible says to walk in strength in your calling, to even be able to walk in your calling. Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, if you need any evidence of how much strength someone is being, has when they're filled with joy, go to the cross where it says, we quoted this last week, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It says that, I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine joy in the circumstances that Jesus was in? And you know, I, I become a little self-conscious talking about this a lot, but about a third of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about a third of each book is about leading up to the cross and, and, and the resurrection. So if I'm repeating things a lot, it's just because the Bible repeats things a lot. And it says that when, uh, when the high priest asked Jesus 
He says, I put you under oath by the living God. He's speaking to Jesus after he was arrested. And he says, are you the Christ, the son of the living God? And Jesus says, it is as you say, nevertheless, hereafter, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. It says at that moment, they begin, it says, it, says, it says after that happened, it says they spat in his face. In his face. They beat him. They struck him with the palm of their hands. And he was mocked all the way to the cross, repeatedly beaten. It says, can we have that again, uh, John? It says, but for the joy that was set before him. Now, the reason I'm putting this up is to just to prove the point from the Bible. This is not Steve's point. This is the Bible's point that joy enabled Jesus Christ to do the hardest thing any human being has ever done. And joy will empower you, strengthen you to do anything God has called you to do. It strengthens you in your calling. You see, when you have joy in the Lord, there's purpose for that joy. The joy, the pleasure that the world goes after because it was designed by God to go after pleasure is an end in of itself. It's pleasure for pleasure's sake. But that's the road to hell. Pleasure for pleasure's sake because it's idolatry. It's, it's carving an idol, second commandment, and bowing down to the idol, and that idol is pleasure. It's rejecting God and worshiping the idol of, of, of pleasure, but your joy has a purpose. It has an end. And the end is for you to walk in your calling. The end is for you to glorify God in your life. And I am telling you that the Lord will pour it on so that you are enabled to walk in your calling. Stephanie, can you bring up my backpack? Okay, here she is. The beautiful, beautiful messenger. Can I get a kiss? Yes, you do. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. And what I'm looking for isn't even... Oh, yeah, it's here. It's here. It's here. It's here. Talking about the joy of the Lord will strengthen you in your calling. Some of the guys and I are reading a book. It's called The Life and Diary of David Brainerd. It's the diary of a man who died when he was 29 years old. And uh, it's fast coming, becoming my, my favorite book. One of the reasons, it, it just, it's, it's, it's just really validating and affirming the last 10 years of my life involving just the intensity of seeking the Lord and spending 
time in prayer, seeking the joy of the Lord. Says this, he's in his, um, he's in his mid-twenties here. He says afterward, this is in his diary. It's just a diary. He never knew it was going to be published. It's never been out of print. It's been read by probably thousands, thousands of missionaries over the years. This is David Brainerd in his diary. He says, afterward, we went to another house and prayed privately with a dear Christian friend or two, and I think I scarce ever was so far into the eternal world as then, I got so far out of the broad ocean of difficulty that my soul with joy triumphed over all the evils of the shores of mortality. I think at that time, um, the world in all its amusements and cruel disappointments never appeared so irrelevant to me. I was in a sweet frame. I saw myself nothing. My soul reached out after God with intense desire. And there's a lot of that in here. As well as a lot of suffering. And the important thing to understand about this man, David Brainerd, is at the time he's writing this, he already has tuberculosis, which he will die of when he's 29. He's been unfairly accused and kicked out of Yale University. He was told that because of what happened at Yale, he could not pastor a church, and so he was told to go work with Indians. As if Indians were not as good of a Paris as anyone. I don't know that that was um, what was in the mind of the people who sent him. But, but it, so he went out completely by himself to the far fringe, this is in the 1730s and 40s, uh, of, of the United States to work with the um, Indians and he went completely by himself, completely alone. There's not a single other Christian working uh, with him. Very challenging translation, complete hostility towards white people who had already betrayed the Indians in so many ways, incredibly cold winter, f food, a huge challenge. Um, he lived on a bundle of straw and he's dying of tuberculosis, but throughout you see just a burning, seeking after the joy of the Lord with this kind of, of, uh, of entry. And it was no surprise that within just a couple of years, hundreds of Indians, and if you go out and talk to people who know the stuff about missions, they will tell you Native American Indians have always been one of the hardest mission fields there is. There was well over a hundred came to the Lord, an incredible, amazing move of the Spirit. God had called that man to, do, to, to bring a revival in the western frontier of America at that time. And what, what strengthened him to do that all by himself? And I'm not recommending going by yourself to do anything, by the way, but he did. There's the incredible loneliness that he had his dire entries, no one with them. But what happened? The joy of the Lord was his strength. The purpose of his life was fulfilled because of the joy of the Lord. Amen. You want a challenge, 
get into this book. It's no easy reading, but it's an incredible read. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Any wonder why the Apostle Paul says this was the purpose of his ministry to the Ephesians. He says there in Philippians 1, this is at the beginning of the book, he says, I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. He knew that if they didn't have joy in the Lord, always they would not fulfill God's calling on their life and the Lord would not be glorified. So uh, let's go back to verse four again. And let's continue to read. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And I just gave you why that verse is in the Bible. But we need, to re- we need to continue. It says, let your gentleness be known to all men. You say, well, I'm not a gentle person. Well, yeah, you need to cry out to the Lord that you will become one. I used to use that excuse too. The Lord is at hand. End of verse five. Verse six, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So it says rejoice in the Lord always, but be anxious for nothing. Eek. I tell you, the Bible has a high bar. Again, it says, let your request, meaning the reasons you're anxious, be made known to God with thanksgiving, verse six, verse seven, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your minds and hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Then he says in verse eight, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on those things. And the New King James says meditate, but 90% of the translations just say think about those things. So do we have that, John? Think about those things. Think about what things? Again, verse eight. Whatever's noble, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on those things. So I want to, at this time, try to explain to you in a practical way how to do that. It's saying rejoice in the Lord always and then it says in verse 8 and if there's anxieties like destroying your joy it just says, what does it say? It says think about good things. (laughs) Think about what's lovely. Think about what's noble. Whatever's good report. Whatever's true. Think about, but how do you do that? How in the world do you do that? And, you know, I've seen this verse for many years, and and you get the idea. It says, think about whatever's true, whatever's lovely. So it's like, 
okay, you know, I'm filled with anxiety about this or that. And, you know, you know when, when I was younger, there was something happening with the kids or uh, nowadays there's something going on with finances or there's some other anxiety. Okay, so it says, think about whatever's true, whatever's left. Okay, love, 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 love. It doesn't work. Good report, good report. Whatever's virtue, whatever is praiseworthy. Um, well, okay, okay. God, you're praiseworthy. God, pra- doesn't work. It doesn't work. So what does work? I want to try to share with you what does work. Or rather, what has worked for me. So you're in a situation that's robbed you of your joy. Whatever it is, there's a thousand different reasons for your joy to be robbed. And Satan, knowing God's priority of joy of your life, oh man, he, he, he will do his best to try to rob you of your joy. The joy of the Lord is your, your strength. It's the strength of your calling. Your calling glorifies God. So there's some situation The robbing of your joy, what do you do? It says, think. Can we put think upon these things one more time? It says, think upon these things. Okay, number one. Here's one you can think, think about. Be, that God thought enough about you that he designed every single tiny detail of your life, including that one, that is right before you, that's causing you so much misery that you would work through it it with joy and glorify his name. Is anyone following me? Maybe. Almost like this. It's not this or this. I'm following you. Oh, that's right. Good, Joshua. Let's put it up again. Practically speaking, what does it mean? Think about these things. Think about the fact that God thought enough about you that he designed every single detail of your life, including that thing that's bringing you misery. And, and, and listen, the Father, and this is not just uh, cool-sounding stuff. This is what the Bible says, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit got together, had a planning session, and there was one subject, you. And, and how he, they were going to use you to bring them glory. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, he says, not one of the sparrows will fall to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. You are, more value, uh, you are of more value than many sparrows. That situation in front of you or around you that are in your mind God brought it about to bring him glory. And he thought enough about you. So think about that. That'll give you joy. That's what I have found. That God thought that much about me to bring me this miserable circumstance that I would walk through with joy and accomplish his purpose for the world. Number two, what's another thing? A situation is in front of you. How, what what do you think about What do you think about in order to rejoice? Because it gives God glory when you do. And we've already talked about that, right? We've talked about that. It gives God glory 
you plan your life in very meticulous detail, the situation that's in your life right now that's causing you so much sorrow and pain and frustration and grief, it's from his hand. And he brought it about to bring himself glory. Now that gives me joy. It says, New King James Version says, meditate on those things. You gotta meditate on this a little bit. Because I like it's a little strange. This is a very painful thing. I thought like the devil brings um, um, all, all sorrow. Well, let me tell you, there's not a single thing the devil does that doesn't get through God before it gets to you. So number two, again, says this. What do you think about? You just think about that it gives God glory by being in this situation and walking through it with joy. Another thought, it says, think about these things. Verse eight says, again, it says, think about these things. Whatever's just, whatever's true, whatever's lovely, whatever's a good report. Number three, because it makes God rejoice when he sees you rejoice. Now, really now, does that not give you joy? Just thinking about the thought that God rejoices when I'm rejoicing, particularly in suffering, that gives me joy. Is everyone following me? Philippians 4.8, think about these things. Think about whatever's true. What's true? The Bible and everything taught about the sovereignty of God that he's in control in every situation in your life. It's, it's about something he wants to do through you. And it makes, can we have that again, John? It makes him happy to see you happy. I just know with my kids, and I know I speak with, for my wife as well. Few things make me more happy than to see my kids happy. I mean, is that, is that like the most basic thing in life? And you don't think it's true of God? That's why he's called Father, to teach us something about his character. And, I, and again, let's put this up one more time. Uh, uh, John, it makes God happy when he sees you happy and that makes me happy. Am I getting too philosophical with you? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Yes. So when I'm, in a, when I'm in a miserable situation and I realize, wow, I can choose joy and that's gonna make God happy, that makes me happy. That's how you can rejoice in the Lord always. That's how you can obey Philippians 4, verse four, number four. Another thing to think about because there's a fellowship, there's a sweetness, there's a joy with, with Jesus when he's the only person in the world who can understand my suffering. Now we've talked about this before because this is, this is uh, Ephesians 3.8, right? We spent time on Ephesians 3.8. Ephesians 3.8 says, I wanna know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings. We talk, spent a lot of time on this. On that verse. But let me just give you a practical example. Is there something in your life which is incredibly painful that it's really difficult to find anyone really who has been through it? Let's just say that, you know, you, you grew up, your, your mother was an alcoholic, your dad was nowhere to be found, and she just gave you away when you were eight years old. Causes an enormous amount of pain. And then one day, you actually find someone where the exact same thing happened. There's a joy in that. 
And the Bible tells us that we can have joy knowing that in some way, Jesus, no one, no one ever experienced the isolation and loneliness as Jesus Christ. And when you start getting that Calvary Chapel, that's a deep one, it's a hard one. That's why Paul prays for the Ephesian church. I hope you understand how wide and long and high and deep are the things of God. When you start getting that, that you can have joy because Jesus Christ, you're in this incredibly painful situation and you can just like, whoa, I can actually choose joy because you, Jesus, know what it's like. I tell you, that place of suffering can be one of the most wonderful sources of joy, your suffering. I remember a number of years ago, a friend of ours um, at the church in Rockland, the Calvary Chapel in Rockland, he uh, went out to Southern California and he broke his neck while he was trying to do a flip <laughs> in the ocean. Um, he's, he's, he's fine today. But in the hospital, Chuck Smith, who started the first Calvary Chapel, there's about 1,500 in the world today, but um, Chuck Smith went and visited him in the hospital, and there was a joke, well, you want to meet Chuck Smith, you can just break your neck, you know. You, you know. And, uh, but the, and, 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 and that's, of course, that's a joke. Chuck was one of the most loving people <laughs> that, that you can imagine. But the point is, in the greatest place of suffering, that's the very place that Jesus Christ will meet you. And that brings, that can bring joy. So what's another thing? Again, verse, verse eight says what? Verse eight says, finally my brethren, think about these things, whatever's true, whatever's pure, whatever's noble, whatever's pra praiseworthy. Next one I have here. Because this trial was sent to me by God to strengthen a place of weakness in my life. And I can't tell you the amount of joy this has brought to me over the, uh, uh, over the years where I realize, Calvary Chapel, that God wants to use me more and more, but I have a place of weakness in my life, and there, he's not gonna, he's not, I'm not gonna be able to move on to that next place of usefulness until I strengthen this place of weakness in my life. The Bible says, uh, John chapter 15, verse two, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Meaning you have a branch in your life, he's kept some place of weakness in your life. Whack! He knocks it off. Why? So to strengthen you too, so that you can be used to bear more fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. That it may bear more fruit. What's something else I can think of? Of. It's related to number five. Number six is this. This situation that I'm in that's bringing me so much, much grief, so much suffering, frustration, anxiety, sorrow, because this trial will get me to the next level of usability. I don't know. This has brought me so much joy over the years. I'm in this situation where, I don't know, like people are throwing spears at my back and a few of them have hit, and, and I realize Wow, Lord, you're trying to get me to a new level of usability, a new level of comfort. Psalm 40, 144 verse one says this. Listen, blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war 
and my fingers for battle. Part of the calling that he has on your life is some battle somewhere, it's not talking about a physical battle, to bring him glory. And that trial in your life, and when it's in front of my life, I tell you, it just brings me joy when I start realizing, okay, yeah, he's doing this in me to get me to the next level of, of usability. Number seven, what else do you think about? It says, verse eight says, think about these things when your joy is being attacked because this trial comes from the overflow of God's goodness for my best good and my greatest happiness. Not just making this up, Exodus chapter 34, um, Moses says this is the name of God. His name is, the Lord, the Lord God, is abounding in goodness and truth. So think about a fountain that is just overflowing. It goes into a basin, the basin's just overflowing with goodness and truth. I tell you, this has brought so much joy to my heart over the year in times of, of trial, in times of fear, in times of danger. When I realize this is all proceeding from the heart of God, which is just overflowing with joy. And then we've already quoted it. This is the linchpin, in my opinion. This is what the linchpin, meaning this is what holds everything in place in Christian living. We know that all things work together for good, for good, for good, for good, for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So whatever this situation is in front of you, he's gonna work it out for good. Think upon that Calvary Chapel, Philippians chapter four, verse eight, and you will have joy. I can't tell you how much joy I'm thinking in the middle of my sorrow, thinking the, the, the sorrow is replaced with joy, just remembering, wow, this is coming from the overflow of his, his heart for good, and it's for my best good. Last one I have today, and believe me, there's many more. What do you think about? Philippians 4.8. How to do that practically? It says, whatever's true, whatever's good report, whatever's praiseworthy, think about this. Well, what do I think about? Because this trial keeps me low and humble and lest I be severely chastened for my pride. And I do. This gives me joy. When I'm just being humbled, 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 humble pie, Steve, I remember what pride does and how susceptible I am to it. I am a man who becomes proud if God is not humbling me. And the Bible says, what in Proverbs? All of you know this. You're gonna even, we'll even do this. Show up and recite this this Friday at 7 p.m. We will cheer you. Pride goes before destruction. That's right. Pride comes before destruction. And, and so when you're being humbled or ridiculed or mocked or you're, you have all kinds of bills, there's no way to pay them. Pride comes before destruction, and that may be keeping you from pride. I tell you one, time, uh, one thing. There was a time where um, we lent um, a, a, a whole lot of money to, to someone who... Um, Owed, he, owed a whole, he, he owed a ton of money and we thought we were blessing him by giving him money to pay off and he, right after we paid it off, he became a, 
a very proud person. <laughs> you, better pay, you better pray before you pay off someone's debt. It may be what God keeps them in a place of humility. Oh, there is one more. Think upon these things. I'm strongest in my weakness. And you guys know the verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. I take pleasure, I take joy in infirmities, that's speaking about sickness and pain, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distress, for Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So what does this mean? This means that this situation that is engulfing you and dragging your joy down, replace that misery, that sorrow, that discouragement with joy because in your weakness, God can move in power. He can move in strength. And I realize this too, Calvary Chapel. When, 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 uh, when there's a situation in my life that's so just annoying and frustrating and it's a thorn and it won't go away. I remember and I take joy in the fact that it's causing me to be weak and when I'm weak, then God is strong and when you're weak, God is strong and that should give you much joy. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up and we're gonna close with um, communion and so if I could get, um, if I could get the, uh, the prayer partners to come up at this time. We're gonna close with communion. This, uh, this pack, past week I was reading my devotional and it talked about how that verse in John, um, at the end of the book of John, it's either, either is it 19 or 20, where a, a, soldier, a soldier pierced Jesus' side and it says that blood, it didn't, trink, it didn't trickle out, it poured out. And the Bible says that that blood that poured out of Jesus, it also says blood and water poured out. The Bible says that that blood that poured out was Jesus' payment price for your joy. The joy that is yours by right of being a son of God, by right of being a daughter of God, it came at an incredibly high price. You know, people, pay a lot of, people pay a lot of money for synthetic fentanyl today. People pay a lot of money for tequila bottles and antidepressant medications and all kinds of other things to, um, as a substitute for the joy of the Lord. But the payment price, in order to get, in order to get joy, by the way, that's what those things are. They're just a yet another way that they, the world, you were designed, the world, every human being in the world was designed to seek after joy, but if you don't get it in God, you're gonna try everything else. And the purchase price is really high on that tequila. 
on that fentanyl, on those bags of weed, week, week after week, on, on whatever those uh, medications that you're getting from your doctor, and I, I grant you that, that in some cases they are necessary, medically necessary, but uh, most of the time, I believe in my experience, they're not. What's needed is the joy of the Lord. But the payment price for the joy of the Lord was the blood of the Son of God. It didn't trickle out, it poured out. It bought you joy. And we're, we're at communion today. We're gonna celebrate communion. We're gonna sing this worship song. If you, um, we're gonna sing a worship song now. Actually, you can stand up. The Bible says, let a man or woman examine themselves before they take communion. Because the cup represents the blood of Christ that poured out, didn't trickle out, poured out <laughs> to purchase you joy. To purchase a relationship with God. To purchase your redemption from hell an everlasting punishment, which it, we all deserve. But Jesus died in our place. He died in your place. Bible says that we can have a relationship with him an eternal life eternal life that begins the very second you open up your heart to God and say yes God come in there's something you'd like to pray about before communion come on up let's pray about it Bible says we shouldn't be taking the cup we shouldn't be um, taking of the bread for holding on to something in our life we just need to let go. By the way, that includes anxiety. It includes fear. Doesn't mean it's not all going to come back tomorrow, but you got to at least let it go and give it to God before taking communion. We're anxious people. We're in fallen bodies. They'll be glorified someday. We're not glorified yet. We thank God for the blood. So let's take communion. We have communion uh, tables in the back. So while we're worshiping, if you like prayer, you can come up. But everyone at some point would like to take communion, you can go to the back. This is the time for those of you who have opened up your hearts to Jesus Christ and made him king. If you've never done that, don't take communion. Come up here and give your life to the Lord as your king and then take communion. So let's do that. Father, I just pray that we continue the business now that you've started off. Pray in Jesus' name. Just thanking you, Lord. Oh, you purchased that joy. And the purchase price was your blood. And now what the world pays billions of dollars for because you gave something that costs more than any money could buy, your blood. We can now have that joy, Lord. We can have it. Fulfill your calling on our lives, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Continue your business as we close out, Lord, and have communion. In Jesus' name, amen.